We are beginning a, uh, a series to this Sunday as, as we start this Advent season that's going to take us through uh, Christmas Eve. It's a series that we're calling The Promise, in which we are, are looking at the promises of God and how those promises have been and are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. You know, Advent is this, is this season in which we prepare ourselves. It traditionally has been a season of penitence and of fasting, not terribly dissimilar from Lent, although since Christmas now starts sometime in the day or the 12 hours or so after 4th of July, we have forgotten um, about that part of Advent. We've just sort of lumped Advent in with the rest of the Christmas season and the rest of a time of celebration. But it is intended for us to be a, a, a season of preparation, just as we prepare in the 40 days of Lent for the death and resurrection of Christ, we prepare in these four weeks prior to Christmas, we prepare for the coming of God. Not only for the coming of God that has happened in history, but for the coming of God that will happen in the future. Traditionally, we've identified sort of four themes um, over the course of Advent. Those are the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. As we celebrate these themes over the coming weeks, we discover a God who keeps his promises. And so as we look at these promises and at these themes, we're going to be looking at both the Old Testament and the New Testament each week. We're going to be looking at um, uh, uh, promises of, that are found in Isaiah and then stories from the gospel that we see these promises fulfilled. So we're going to be, today, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, and then we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 2. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Isaiah chapter 9, starting, well, not starting, but cha chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And now over to Luke 2, starting with verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. We just sang that word. We're going to talk about it in a moment. Looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation." You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of God. Read it. Believe it. 
and live. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we, as we begin this process, as we begin these weeks of examining your promises, I pray that you would be among us. That, that as we walk in what seems to be so much darkness, that your light would pierce that darkness. That as we wait, we would be consoled. That as we wait, we would have hope. And so God, as we open your word to study it this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. Maybe sated. We are in this season of, of waiting. Not only are we in the season of waiting in the church, we're in the season of waiting in sort of our, our outside church Christmas celebrations, right? I don't know if any of you watched the show Hometown on HGTV. Ben and Aaron Napier, a young couple from Laurel, Mississippi, who have done a bunch of home re- renovations. But uh, uh, Ben, for about the last mm, 360 days... Um, has been posting, it's only X number of days until Christmas. He, uh, he loves Christmas a great deal. But waiting is hard, right? We don't like to wait. Remember as a kid, um, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and assume this is something you only did as a child. Those of you who are adults don't do this anymore. Crawling under the Christmas tree and finding the package and shaking it and trying to figure out what it was. We, we mark this waiting in various ways. I know some people who grew up and, um, and what they did at the very beginning of Advent, um, they made a series of, uh, they made a paper chain. Remember, you remember paper chains? You cut the little strips and you tape them together. And then as each day went, got closer the, to Christmas, they would take a link off of that chain. And the chain was supposed to get shorter and shorter, but it never seemed to get any shorter. Or there are those Advent calendars. You know, you know the ones that have got the little door and you pop the door open and there's a little piece of chocolate in there? We use these things to mark time. The Advent wreath is very similar. We have four Sundays between the beginning of Advent and Christmas and we mark time by lighting the candles. We light one the first week, two the second, and so on. And, and as we do that, the light grows. As we do that, we get closer to Christmas, and so that on Christmas Eve, on Christmas, we light that center Christ candle. We mark the preparation and the the waiting to Christmas Day. There are those that claim that the waiting, the anticipation, is as enjoyable as the day itself, and those people are obviously nuts. There are people who make that claim. Waiting isn't easier, but waiting isn't easy, but, but waiting is at the very heart of the Advent season. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. It means the coming or the arrival. Sometimes we talk about the Advent of Christ, the arrival of Christ. But during these four weeks leading up to Christmas Day, for, for hundreds if not thousands of years, people have celebrated both the, the birth of Jesus Christ and his first coming and the promise 
of his future arrival or second coming. At the center of our faith is the belief that Jesus Christ was born in a manger and that he started something beautiful and new right in the midst of our mess, right in the midst of a manger, of a stable, of a barn. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus restores the world to the way God first intended it. With his arrival, we find hope and peace and joy and love. So today we visit this theme of hope. Hope is this word, the word that we use often during the Christmas season. I hope the tree fits. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. I hope the turkey isn't dry. Sissy, this one's for you. I hope it snows this year. We've lost the depth of, of hope when our hopes really just become wishful thinking about trivial and pleasant things. We, we turn hope into a kind of simple optimism, but, but true hope, biblical hope, is deeper than that. See, optimism is based on looking at a situation and the facts and saying, yeah, I think this is going to turn out okay. But hope is looking at the facts and the situation and in spite of them saying, God's going to make everything all right. Scripture's understanding of hope isn't optimism. In, in 1 Peter, uh, Peter uses the word hope over and over and over again. And, and right there in the first chapter of 1 Peter, um, we see it. In, in 1 Peter 1.13, he says this. He says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of times when we talk about hope, we're thinking about it in terms of the future, but hope has a lot to do with the present as well. Peter uses, uses the, the, the phrase, with your, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. But really, what's there is, it's gird up the loins of your mind. This phrase, to gird up your loins, comes from the ancient form of dress that men wore in the Middle East. In fact, you still see a lot of Middle Eastern men wear this, this sort of long outer shirt or outer robe that stretches all the way down to their ankles. And it's wonderful in dealing with the heat of the region, but it makes it pretty hard to move quickly or to respond in dangerous situation. And, and so to, to gird up your loins meant that you would literally grab that long outer shirt and you would tuck it into your belt to be ready for action. So our hope is not meant to be something that only impacts our future, but should impact our present as well. It should cause us to, to gird up our loins. As we recognize that our future is shaped by the present, we need to be fully aware of both. Hope means that we are fully prepared for what is to come, both in the present and the future. See, hope is a certainty about the future that impacts the present. 
Hope is a certainty about the future that impacts the present. Our hope is not set in some ambiguous optimism for no reason. Our hope is set and defined by specific moments in history. In particular, what we might call the the hinge of history, that, that specific moment in which Jesus Christ arrives as a baby. And then his life, death, and resurrection. Specific moments in history. Hope is about living right now in the light of a future promise. It's about restructuring the way that we look at the world, not as it is right now, but as it will be when Christ comes and sets all things right. A mark of almost every person within the Christmas story is that they were full of hope about the fulfillment of a historic promise. Promises that were found in the Old Testament. That's what we see in Simeon. is a person who is full of hope about the fulfillment of a historic promise. The Old Testament holds many promises or prophecies about the coming of Jesus. And these helped sustain the Jewish people as they, as they lived through exile and occupation, as they lived through wars and famines and disease, as they were attacked from without and from within. It was, it was promises of rescue that helped them live day to day. In a world that was full of deep darkness, they were promised that a light was coming. You are a people who have walked in great darkness, but light is coming. And in the midst, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of occupation from a, a hostile, foreign, oppressive power, the Roman Empire, we find Simeon. This, this old man in the temple. See, I love Simeon because he's this, he's this wonderful, perfect example of someone who has oriented his entire life around a future promise given to him by God. So, after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, took their newborn son to the temple to participate in... How was it that, that Luke phrased it? When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. They were bringing Jesus to the temple to be circumcised. To be marked as a, as a child of the covenant. The mark that Jewish men had held from that day all the way back the promise that was made to Abram, soon to be called Abraham. And so Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple. They want to they dedicate and consecrate the baby Jesus. They want to mark him with the covenant. They want to say, you are a part of God's promise. 
But when they get there, they don't just encounter priests and religious officials. They encounter this man, Simeon. Some traditions tell, tell us that Simeon would, would have been over 100 years old. That he would have been 112. That's not in Scripture, but we do know that he was an old man. But we also know that he was promised by God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah in the flesh. That his life would be spared until he set eyes on the Anointed One. He lived his life oriented around this promise. Just as the people of Israel had lived their life around the promise of Abraham, the promise to Abraham in the covenant. And so one day, Simeon is prompted by the Spirit and he comes to the temple and he's there to see Jesus and Mary and Joseph arrive. And Luke tells us that, that when Simeon sees Jesus, he knows immediately who and what Jesus is. He sees this, this baby in the arms of his mother, and he knows immediately that this is the Messiah. He's overcome by joy and hope as he realizes that this is the one whom he had been waiting for. The one whom everybody had been waiting for. And so he takes baby Jesus in his arms and he recites this prayer, this blessing over him. And I'm, I'm trying to get this image in my head, okay? So you are a mother. And you've had the, 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 the experience that Mary has had in terms of the conception of this child. And then after you are pregnant, your soon-to-be husband comes to you and goes, Hey, babe, don't know how to tell you this, but i got to stick you on the back of a donkey for several days, and we got to go all the way down to Bethlehem. Now, my grandmother had to move from Alaska to Florida in 1951 when she was eight and a half months pregnant with my father. That was not a terribly pleasant trip, but at least there were railroads. Mary, at eight and a half months pregnant, at nine months pregnant, gets stuck on the back of a donkey and has to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Not as far as from Alaska to Florida, but in the first century it may as well have been. So then she gets there and finds out that this joker that she has decided that she's going to marry could not call ahead and find a reservation. Oh no. All of the rooms are empty. And so they get, they get stuck in this stable and it's in that stable that she gives birth to this child, and then all of the other stuff happens that we know that happens, right? You know, there's a light, and the shepherds, and, and, and you know, we have that song about that little drummer boy who comes to, not in Scripture, but... And then she goes to the temple. She has her baby in her arms, and this strange old man comes up to her and takes her baby away. Now, in my very recent experience, not a terribly good idea to take a newborn away from his mother. And yet Simeon takes Jesus, takes Jesus from Mary and 
and prays over him. Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promise. My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Now I'm going to imagine that when Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph were a little overwhelmed by this, that they were probably a little overwhelmed by this. But can you imagine, yes, what Mary was feeling, but can you imagine what Simeon felt? To know that this thing that he had hoped for for so long had come to pass. This wasn't waiting 24, 25 days to open a Christmas present. This was waiting a lifetime to see the salvation of the world. If Simeon was 112 years old, what he had seen in his lifetime, he had seen Romans conquer and occupy his people and his land. He had seen civil war, bloody civil war. And he had seen many uprisings by the Jewish people crushed by the Romans. And in the midst of that darkness, he held out hope for the light. He still believed that God was not done. He still believed that God had not quit on them despite what Roman soldiers marching through Jerusalem might have said. He believed the Messiah and the Deliverer was still on His way. And so he, he stands at the temple holding the promised Messiah. The one who was not going to be the salvation simply of His people, but of all people. Simeon shows us that hope is birthed out of deep longing and desperate need. Hope is birthed out of deep longing and desperate need. Deep longing and desperate need for God's presence and for God's comfort. See, he was waiting at the temple for something very specific. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We, we sang about consolation. Now, I, I think... Sometimes when we hear that word, what I think of is, and today's consolation prize was provided by Delta. When I was sick, I watched a lot of uh, um, Price is Right. That's what we think of. That's what I think of sometimes when I think of the word consolation. Well, you didn't win, but here's what you get instead. But that's not what consolation means. What consolation means is encouragement or comfort. It didn't mean that Simeon was waiting for God's pat on the back for a few nice words for a whole, well, I'm sorry you didn't get what you want, but here's the thing that I'm going to give you instead. It, it goes back to the prophet Isaiah. 
He goes back to the promises that we're going to be looking at from Isaiah. For hundreds of years, Israel had been defeated and destroyed by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Greeks, and then the Romans. And in the midst of all of that, that's when Isaiah sits down and he writes his promises. He writes his prophecies. And, and, and when they're written, they, they pointed to a coming comfort through the Messiah, through the Anointed One, that God would send. And yet, people would still look around and be discouraged because that wasn't what they were getting at the moment. But God promised that one day things would change. And they could have hope and comfort and encouragement and consolation because God was going to come through. The word that Luke uses here for waiting when he's describing Simeon and that Simeon was waiting is, is this word that it, it, it means literally to, to give access to one's self. It's the kind of waiting that you do with the, with the deepest parts of yourself. It's a waiting that involves a, a sort of pain, an awareness of our, of our deep need for something. It's the, the kind of waiting that physically hurts. Simeon's hope is expectancy was was birthed out of his awareness for his his deep need for God's consolation for God's comfort and for God's healing it's easy it's easy in these these weeks leading up to christmas for us to get all wrapped up in the really awesome stuff that happens as we prepare for Christmas. We were, we were with Audrey's parents for Thanksgiving. It would not be a trip to the Bizers unless we watched something Disney. And so Jamie has seen Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol for the first time. He wasn't that interested in it. Poor little guy has a cold. But I have an idea that he's going to be introduced to an even better movie today. The best adaptation of A Christmas Carol that has been made. Muppet Christmas Carol. Seriously. I love the one with George C. Scott. It's great. It's a great period piece. But sit down, read A Christmas Carol, and then watch A Muppet Christmas Carol. It is the most faithful adaptation of the book that has been made. I love it. I'm going to watch A Muppet Christmas Carol probably five or six times over the next month. It's going to just be on repeat in the house. There's this stuff that we can get wrapped up in, right? Some of you are going to get really wrapped up in making Christmas cookies. I love you, but I want you to remember that I'm on a diet. So only bring about 30 or 40. Some of you are going to get really wrapped up in making sure that you get the absolute perfect present for somebody. Some of you are going to get wrapped up in getting the house decorated. Some of you are going to get wrapped up in in who's coming to town and what are you going to make. And all of this stuff can be really good. But we can get wrapped up in all of this stuff and we can forget what this season of Advent is about. We can get wrapped up 
and all this stuff, and we can forget that we need to be focusing on the deep need that we have for God. And so, man, I want you to go all out. You know how much I love Christmas. If, if they can't see Fairmont from the International Space Station, we haven't done our job. At night, I want the power grid in North Carolina to crash because Fairmont has turned on its Christmas lights. Man, do all that stuff. But I also would encourage you to allow yourself to feel the deep need you have for God. You know, that's, that's, it's, a, it's a need that, that we all feel that every human being feels. Because we were made for it. We were made to need and want and desire God. And the problem is, is, that, is that many of us, when we, when we get a sense for our need, we just, we just fill it with other stuff. We try and fill it in with, with shopping or with accomplishments or with parties or with denial or substance abuse with stuff, with people. Instead of leaning into our deepest need for God's comfort and healing in our lives, we simply try to distract ourselves, and in the end, we miss the hope that's offered in Jesus Christ. When we do this, when we try and fill that need with all this other stuff, we are living, but we are not alive. Look around you and engage with the Advent season. Allow yourself to hope that your current circumstances that bring pain can be changed and restored by the arrival, by the coming, by the advent of Christ into your life. There's an, an ancient prayer of Advent. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Hope that that is your prayer this Advent season. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, some of, the, some of the final words in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, are come, Lord Jesus. How badly do you want that? How aware are you of your need for God's comfort and God's healing in your life? One of my favorite figures that I look to that I enjoy to read and ponder his life and his commitment to Christ is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian and a pastor in Germany in the, in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s, who was killed by the Nazis. He was a martyr to the Christian faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this of Advent. He says, The only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them, whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. We have this idea that we are supposed to be content, 
that we're supposed to be fulfilled and wonderful. And I know we just, we just talked about contentment and satisfaction. But I hope that as we looked at those, those three weeks, as we looked at Philippians 4, you came to understand that satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment doesn't come from that stuff out there. It only comes from Jesus. In church, we need to be a people who carry restlessness around with us. We need to be a people whose souls don't give us peace. We need to be a people who know that we are poor and incomplete, and yet who sense something of the greatness that is to come, that has come, and will come again in glory. And so my prayer is, is that this Advent season would be different than ever before. It's a little bare in here this morning for the first Sunday in Advent, isn't it? Some of you probably came in wondering where the tree was and where the reeds were. I want this Advent to be different. I want us to not get distracted by the bright, shiny lights. They're awesome. But I want us to be focused on the coming of the light of the world. To be focused on Jesus. To not allow ourselves to get distracted and to self-soothe. But to wrestle with our pain and come face to face with the brokenness of the world. It's only when we see the, the emptiness of our normal Christmas hustle and bustle. It's only then that we can realize that we've been settling for less than what is available to us. It's only out of deep longing that we can come to find the comfort and hope of Jesus. Because while hope is is found in our deepest longing, our hope also comes from a person. Hope is found in a person. In 1 Peter, we're, we're told that our hope is not set in some kind of empty, wishful thinking. And that's, that's amazing news. That is gospel. That is good news. Because if it was just empty, wishful thinking, then our hope ends in despair or disappointment. But our hope is found in Christ Jesus. Our hope isn't found in our, in our bank account or in our relationship. Our hope isn't found in a, in a job. Our hope isn't found in a, in a politician. Our hope isn't found in a good medical report. Our hope isn't found in any of that stuff. Our hope is in Jesus and in his promised arrival in the future to restore all that is broken. As you read through the New Testament, many people who come into touch with Jesus miss the significance of who he really is. Because even though the, the writings of the Old Testament pointed to him and, and showed who he was going to be, the Jewish people still missed the Messiah when he arrived. But not Simeon. Simeon knew when he saw Jesus, even at a month old, that he was the anointed one who was promised to come and bring hope and peace and joy and love. How did Simeon get it right when so many others got it wrong, when so many others continue to get it wrong? Because people 
were looking for something that Jesus wasn't. So Jesus wasn't what most people were looking for in a Messiah. They wanted a, a political warrior king who would overthrow the oppressors of the Jews and put them on top. They wanted someone who would come in and, and win the culture. They didn't expect the Messiah to be a tiny baby who would come and instead of exerting his power, and he had power. He was God in the flesh. He was the sovereign of the universe. Make no mistake, Jesus had the power. But instead of exerting that power, he gave himself up on the cross. See, the people missed Jesus because their hope was in specific expectations that they had. They had expectations that were all about what they wanted God to do. They had all these expectations about how they wanted God to look. They had all these expectations for, for the things to change in their favor. And so when Jesus failed to miss these expectations, they missed him completely. But Simeon had a different hope. When our hope is placed in anything other than the promises of God and the fulfillment of these promises in Jesus, we tend to settle for lesser things. And they always fail, and they always lead to frustration. This morning, in the midst of whatever you're going through, ask yourself, where do you find your hope? And how you answer this question makes all of the difference. Is your hope based on something you want God to do? Everything will be great if God just does blank. Or is your hope based in God himself, in who God is and in what he has promised. This is the beauty and the dark side of the holidays. During this time of year, the good stuff and the bad stuff of life are both exaggerated. This is the time of year when we become hyper aware of problems that we solve, of people we can't control, and of expectations that we can't meet. There are problems that have been decades in the making that you are not going to be able to fix overnight. There are people in your life who you are not going to be able to save during the holidays, and there are expectations that you will try so hard to meet for someone else in your family that you will never be able to do so. But brothers and sisters, that is not where our hope is. There's a difference in being hopeful for something and being hopeful in someone. Choose this year to face your deep longing and come to believe that there is one specific source from whom you can derive hope. Jesus Christ. We don't just sit idly and wait and hope. In fact, when we sense our deep longing and we know our source of hope, we can live every moment believing the best is before us. When we begin to embrace the anticipation and the expectation, we free ourselves from the urgency of having to fix things now and know that our God is at work. The question is, how do we join him in that work? Because it's an active anticipation. Yes, we wait. Sometimes we wait but we wait actively. We gird our loins in anticipation.
become Lord Jesus. Our hymn of invitation is going to